Sacred Space. And welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. Uh, my name is John Keeley, joined in studio this morning, as we said, by Father Michal Liston. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm very um, happy to be here. Thanks to Lorraine, who's still continuing to do the controls for us. Thanks, Lorraine. You're very welcome, John. And Annie's still staying here with us as well to hear Father Michal speak about a wonderful book that he's just... Uh, he just wrote and about to be launched shortly. We'll tell you about that later on. This book is entitled Come and See, and it's the story of Lourdes. So, Father Michal, why did you pick the, the uh, title Come and See, just as a matter of interest? Because I feel that often if we are to be able to look again, uh-huh the gospel, even here again, what our faith is all about. I think we have to be open to a different experience, to get out of the ordinary. And and come and see, it is a text that's in in the Bible, in the gospels. And when we come to Lourdes, or share the mystery of Lourdes, we are given a chance to hear things in a new way. Beautiful, beautiful. Why did you write the book in the first place, anyway? Well, if I could change that to, why was I asked to write the book? (laughs) You choose those, you choose that word. Okay, okay, why were you asked? Uh, Well, I suppose people knew that Lourdes has been part of my life for a long time. Yeah. In 1963, which is 50 years ago now, and I was a young man, a young boy. <laughs> I and a friend, we went, we went out to Dublin Road in Limerick, uh-huh. and we two of us hitchhiked to Lourdes. And it was a nice journey, but hitchhiking was common enough that time. And we worked in the city of the poor for a fortnight, and they fed us and found us. And then I wanted to... Very early on, I was curious about the story of Lourdes. What actually happened in Lourdes? What is it all about? Uh-huh. So when I began to go from maybe the 70s on regularly with the Limerick Day Austin pilgrimage, I have a bit of French, so I was getting the books and getting the background and uh-huh. what was said and all this. So um, I was known to be somebody who... Uh, is curious about Lourdes, always. Right, okay. And then in Lourdes, during the pilgrimages, I take people around to the uh, sites of Bernadette and where she was born, where she was living time, the apparitions, and maybe I do it with a bit of enthusiasm. I'd say a little. <laughs> I've heard a little. <laughs> so you've been 50 years going to Lourdes? Uh, I 1963? did. 1963. Well, that was a break until 1970. Oh, God bless you. And then uh, since uh, 70, then it began again in 75, and then gone very often since. And just on the forward to the book there, uh, just as I was reading the book there, um, the forward is actually written by um, Bishop Donald Murray. But one of the things he mentions there, he said, this book is a fruit of many years during which the author has pondered in his heart the story of Lourdes and the experience of being a pilgrim in Lourdes. It's a work of someone who is passionate about the story. And I think that would be fair to say you're fairly passionate about Lewis and fairly passionate about this story. If you've been going there for 50 years, you must be f- like it somewhat. Yes, yes. It, it's a wonderful, uh, it, it's a wonderful forward by 
by uh, by Bishop Modi, and I'm sure you must be delighted. With oh it. God, I was really pleased. I was, if I could just mention his opening line. He talks about uh, he quotes from the what Saint Luke says about Mary. Yeah, she treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. That image of Mary as somebody who has a, a mind, who thinks, who has a heart, who has a feeling, and that's really one of the core things in Lourdes that people are asked to discover. And then I love where he says Lord shows the church and the world as they ought to be yeah the sick and the people who carry great burdens of anxiety people who sometimes feel overwhelmed or marginalized discover that in Lords it is they who have the first place I just thought that was just sheer beautiful beautiful and alongside that and he says the joy and vitality of young people and of other volunteers are cheerfully at the service of the sick and the frail I know certainly that comes through in your book and we'll we'll certainly touch on that later on. The book is split into two parts, Father. Yes. It's split into the story of Lourdes and the reflections. Any idea behind that as to why you chose to do it that way? It's a beautiful concept because I I have read the book myself. Uh, It's wonderful. But but just the idea of the story and then the reflections. No, I suppose... (laughs) I have been thinking an awful lot about Lourdes and about my experiences and how it meets life, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to complicate the story itself. I wanted to tell the story as yeah. simple and straightforward yeah. as I good. could. Good. And really on the instructions of Bernadette, apparently she said to somebody, the simpler you tell things, the better. Mm. So I didn't want to have too much of my reflections coming into the, the run of the story. So that was... We could all learn from that, I'd say. <laughs> Just starting on the story, just the background maybe of a typical family life and the work and the conditions that the people lived in. And of course, this was around the mid-1850s. Mid-1850s, and uh, yes, and she was born in 1844. Mm-hmm. And if we think a lot about what conditions were life in Ireland at that time. Yeah. And uh, so therefore, there was a lot of poverty. But then part of the story of Bernadette's family is they were working in a mill which they rented. Mm. And they had hopes of buying it out. But then things went against them. And they began to, uh, well, after an accident, the man in the house uh, was blind and uh, had blind in one eye and there was sickness and he wasn't able to uh, pay the rent even. So then things began to go down. So they were a family who had failed, as it were, in economic sense and they were a bit hitting the poverty. And... Uh, and then, actual fact, when she was born, she wasn't the poorest of the poor. But by the time the apparitions came, the time of the apparitions, she and her family were at the bottom. Yeah. They were in the dumps and the, at the bottom. And so therefore, in one sense, I'd say that sense of a family who were failures, if you like. They were losers. In the world, in the, in the eyes of the world. In the eyes of the world. And even a story which is not in the book, but I love telling it in Lourdes about that winter before the apparitions were in February, they started in February. Now, that winter, there was some flour stolen in the town of Lourdes. The police came and arrested Bernadette's father in this hovel they were living in. Mm. But he was let go at the trial because in the book, the evidence was the owner of the flour said that Bernadette's family was so poor he could have stolen the flour. So here, it always reminds me of what the great poet Ornro Sullivan said. Mm-hmm. It isn't to be poor 
are to be down forever. But the insult that goes with it that even the heroes wouldn't cure. Nihion tark, nihion voktunak this masseling, navihias godio, akon tarkishne, the insult, the lianani, na lyaisak nilioin. And this family now had not only poverty and failure in the world, but they had the insult that goes with it. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, in that situation, the, the, the things began to ha- unfold and happen. So that's just setting the scene just prior, or just about the time of the story of Lewis, which started on the 11th of February, 1858. And the apparitions, I believe, continued up to the 16th of July that same year. You might just lead us through there, Father, please. Right. But I just maybe you asked me why, uh, why I wrote the book and okay. all this. Yeah. Now, one of the things that came to me was when I went to Lourdes first, I was hearing an awful lot that Lourdes was about penance. Yeah. And I suppose uh, sorrows and I think what the scholars call dolorism. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> but when I was getting to know the story, mm. I felt, hold a second now, it isn't as simple as that. Because from the word go for Bernadette, the experience of the apparitions yeah. was one of mystery, yes, but also of beauty and gentleness, uh-huh. prayer, courtesy, friendship. Yeah. That, uh, and it was an experience for her, and she had to put it into words because she was constantly being asked. But for instance, now, I love the exchange of, after what the third apparition, the local policeman, sergeant, brought her in and questioned her. Mm-hmm. You're the one who saw the Blessed Virgin. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but the people are saying it. I know. It is in the papers. I know. So you wouldn't see anything. I did. What did you see? I saw a gentle light in the shape of a beautiful girl. And uh, that, uh, oh yes, and what was it like? Bernadette kept referring to the vision she was seeing as it. In the local language, Akero. Of course, all the neighbors were saying the Virgin, the Blessed Mother, and all this in the word go. But Bernadette had this extraordinary reticence, if you like, at one level. Mm. She just stuck to what she, her story and it. Mm. And, um, but it was, and it was a huge friendship between the two of them. Like, uh, uh, the documentation is extraordinary. Uh, the police were taking notes. The local press were taking notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the priests, God bless them, were taking notes. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the locals were keeping diaries. Yeah. So all this documentation is there. And w- I love the, the one, the, was it one of the police or was it a doctor who went down one day and was watching Bernadette during the apparitions? She smiled 17 times. That's right. You've got that in the book somewhere. (laughs) And uh, she got sad. Now, the first number of the apparitions was all this gentleness and prayer and the rosary and Mm. quiet. But then, oh, yes, I love the background to to one of the the, uh, new turning events. Up at the, I suppose, the Bewley's Cafe, like where there were the nice people of the town were having their morning coffee. And there was one who had been coming down and was fascinated. But during the apparitions, nobody saw anything except Bernadette. But her face was completely transformed. Mm. And she was telling all the other ladies, you should see her face during the apparitions. It's beautiful. And she compared her to some famous actor. I don't know who the f- actress, who the famous actress at uh-huh, the moment, uh-huh. the beauties. She said, oh, there was nothing to Bernadette's face during the apparitions. So she convinced her, some of her mates to come down to the apparitions. But that day... 
things were different. Uh, Bernadette's face was sad. Yeah. And uh, she was began crawling on the ground and eating a bit of grass. Yeah. Then scooping up and found some mud and rubbed it in her face. Yeah. And uh, people were shocked. And of course, the one who brought down her friend to see this beauty, she mm. thought, ah, we're disgusted. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but what's happening was, it was talking to Bernadette about the sin yeah. and doing penance and doing penance for sinners. And that became a new note in the apparitions. Mm. But it always remained a note of sadness within a larger experience of gentleness, friendship, respect, wonder. Mm. Mm. Uh, so, so therefore, I think that's terribly important that... Um, the apparition in Lourdes for Bernadette, she said afterwards, the grotto is my heaven. Yeah. When she was asked about the statue in Lourdes and the poor sculptor was kind of rattled when she said, it isn't young enough or smiling enough. Mm. And that was, the, now all this time, Bernadette kept calling it, uh, oh yes, uh, I could go on forever about the story of Lourdes. Of course you could, of course you could. <laughs> well, but if I just hold you there, just for those people who just might meet, need to be reminded again about what actually happened, I, I believe it was Bernadette was asked to go and collect some sticks. Yes. The uh, so, so just briefly. Right. Uh, at around 11 o'clock in the morning of the 11th of February, inside in this hovel, one room with mum, dad and four children. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the father had no work. He wasn't feeling that well. He was in bed and during those days he wasn't no work. He tend to stay in bed and eat nothing to leave the food for the children. Mm-hmm. There was no sticks for the fire. The mother uh, wasn't, didn't want Bernadette because of her asthma going out in the cold and the damp. Mm-hmm. She asked a second. Uh, Toinette and and her pal was was there, Baloom. So she sent to sending out the two of those. Bernadette wanted to go too. Look, I'll wear my stockings, Mammy, and I'll mm. wrap mm. myself up. So she got the okay to go. Anyway, it's a bit of a story. They went out looking for sticks and they couldn't find them. And then they thought of this place down near the river, where the, where the, there was pigs just together, and mm. they they went down. And uh, then. One of them said, well, there was a little stream there at mm-hmm. the time, a little mm-hmm. canal, it is now covered up, but just in front of the grotto. And one of them said, we'll go over across the, the stream and we'll get bone, old bones and mm-hmm. sticks. Mm-hmm. And the Bernadette's sister and her pal took off their clogs, yeah. ran across the cold stream, gave out about the coldness of the water, mm-hmm. went back up, put their clogs back on and went off. Mm-hmm. Bernadette asked them, hold a second now, could you, could you wait for me? And, and no... See, Bernadette was the eldest and she was getting special treatment with special bread and that okay. and the second didn't like it and told her to... Pull your socks up type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Bernadette was after her own anyway, so she was taken off the first stock and when she had a puff of wind okay. and saw nothing. But after the second stock and looked up and saw the light. Mm. And uh, then... She, she, she knelt down and she got out her rosary beads and she tried to bless herself and couldn't. Mm. But then it blessed herself and now Bernadette could do the same. And uh, it was a silent apparition that first and after a while it faded and uh, Bernadette put stuff, went across the stream and put her stuff back on and when she met the others she said to them something about, did you see, what did you see? Mm. 
they had seen her kneeling down now and the neighbour was laughing at praying out down here. Why haven't we praying churches enough? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but uh, then when Bernadette realised they hadn't seen anything, she went clamped up. Yeah. So they thought, what did you say? Yeah, come on. So they stuck on her then and they promised, they swore they'd never tell anyone and they were blah, blah, blah. But Bernadette said Bernadette told them anyway. They went back up home later on and that night the sister couldn't keep it in. And uh, the mother asked, what's wrong with you? And eventually she told the mother what Bernadette had said. Yeah. And I think this, the, the dynamic, as it were, how the thing progressed. It yes. was the, the first apparition, it was Bernadette and two young girls, 14 and 13, yeah. youngsters, hmm. but having knowing the realities of harsh life. Then when the mother heard this, she nearly went berserk. She said, we had the guards on to us and we were in trouble with the jail and no more trouble. And it was the papers will be on to us maybe and the yeah. television maybe. And I think they wanted. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing the mother wanted, so she said, you want to go down there anymore? Yeah. So she went upstairs anyway to her friend and had him natter about it. But next day, uh, Bernadette's pals went into the, told all the others about it. So next thing, a group of ten of them gathered, and they came back to the mother. So now could Bernadette go down again? The mother said, "No, yeah. that is really, it is really human. It is lovely." Okay. And, and the, the mother said, "No." And after a while, she, the mother said, "Go off and ask your father." <laughs> and they went down. They found the father was working with a guy who had horses and coaches, and and they, they told the story. And the father once said, "No, it was backing up yeah. the mother, like I suppose. Yeah. You know, you want to crack now." <laughs> and uh, but then the man who on the horse heard the story said, "Sure, if 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 the woman." has a rosary bit so there can't be that much wrong <laughs> so he said he said alright so so they were tore off but an interesting thing before the tenim rushed down to the grotto they went up to the church and got a bottle of holy water ok the idea being the idea being that when they went down to the grotto and the vision did appear to Bernadette Bernadette emptied the bottle of water shook it over <laughs> just in case <laughs> I think I told her if you're from God stay and if you're not go and uh, it's all very very that, human oh absolutely that is gorgeous but here again the dynamic yeah. to start with Bernadette and her own yeah. then the her first, first companions in the adventure were these two young girls. Uh-huh. The next set of companions at the second vision was 10 youngsters. And this is youngsters now who are yeah. starting off and their energy, their curiosity, their faith, their whatever. And this is where Lourdes came from. Four million plus gone there every year. But it started with these one, three, ten youngsters. Mm. And they were the, poor, the poorest of youngsters who had, who had no status or education or anything. But they got the thing going. And uh, then uh, uh, the, the, some of their parents and friends got curious. And, and uh, interesting enough, after the very first apparition, Bernadette went into the confession, to, to, went into the confession box to the, one of the curates and told her what she saw. Mm. And, uh, and, oh yes, and again, God bless the curate, Abbe Bumion. He, he, he listened to her and he didn't discourage her. Mm-hmm. And he just said, and he asked in a very courteous way, is it okay if I talk to the parish priest about it? Bernadette felt she was never <laughs> respected, consulted, yeah. never asked that, can I do it by the curate? So uh, she said, of course. And the priest kind of adopted an attitude of keeping informed, but didn't get involved. Okay. Even when some people were telling her, are forbidding her to go. Mm. She was friendly with this curate, and he said, they can't stop you going there. So it was a, a, while 
the clergy, well, if you like being cagey. They didn't promote it. They didn't promote it. Now, the parish priest is a different story. He was kind of a, as I said, as any decent parish priest would be, he was a kind of, he was a, kind of a grumpy old man. <laughs> I did not too many of those around. <laughs> he'd been an army chaplain. Uh, but people found out that when he died, he'd been paying the rent of, he'd been paying the rent of a lot of parishioners. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but now his part in the story, he was, oh yes, when the next crisis arrived then, we had the, the happy atmosphere and the friendship and all that, then the sadness of sin. And I suppose the third stage was, it asked for a chapel to be built and people to come on procession. So she goes after the parish priest about this. Uh-huh. And the parish priest, I suppose, they had good parish priest again. Who's going to pay for this? Perting <laughs> 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 first. <laughs> or who is she? And I said, I don't know who she is. Well, I'm not going to do anything, she says. So, <laughs> but that dynamic again of who is it? And, uh, well, of course, everyone was sent as our lady into the Blessed Virgin and all this, but it was stuck. She was stuck to it, yeah. And she didn't care what people thought of her ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so uh, eventually, anyway, the day came on the 25th of March, which is the feast of... The Annunciation. So, Bernadette, anyway, uh, almost, you could almost say, stuck in, into it. Yes. And said, what's your name? I have to know that. Yeah. So eventually, anyway, that's when the famous... Uh, the, oh, yes. And now this is in the book, but... She, all this smiling, which was all this warm there. Uh-huh. And then Bernadette said, she stopped laughing and put her two hands out and raised them up and said in the local language, I am the Immaculate Conception. Beautiful. Bernadette ran off through the crowd, up to the parish priest, in the door, and said to him, I am the Immaculate Conception. Beautiful. And the parish priest was on the point of saying, who do you think you are? <laughs> when he stopped. Now, at this point, and thank you very much, I think you need a break. I think we need to take a bit of a break for a bit of music here. Lorraine, we have a, a beautiful piece of music lined up there. We do indeed. Just keeping with our theme, it's called The Bells of the Angelus, and it's from the album Faith of Our Fathers. So let's have a listen to this.
Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. So welcome back again uh, to our third part of this wonderful story of Lourdes by Father Michael Liston. we got uh, Lorraine here with me and Anne. And Father, just before the break there, we were speaking about um, Bernadette coming up and just very calmly just saying to the to the parish priest, uh, I, what the lady told me was um, the Immaculate Conception. And he said, what? Continue on from there. Well, what happened after that? Well, as I said, the evidence is that, but Bernadette burst out on the Immaculate Conception. And the poor parish priest for a second was on the point to saying, oh, who do you think? <laughs> <laughs> but he, he constrained himself and he knew she couldn't have made it up. So he was kind of was totally not know what to do. Mm-hmm. She went away. He sat down and wrote a letter to the bishop and posted it and felt, right, my job done now anyway. Mm-hmm. They said the bishop sorted out. But an interesting, Bernadette still didn't know what any American conception meant. And just, uh, just to let listeners know again, uh, and was it just a few years before that that the church actually... Yes, it, there was always uh, in the, uh, throughout the church really a great sense of the specialness of the Mother of God yes. and uh, her holiness and her beauty mm-hmm. and her closeness to God. Mm-hmm. She was full of grace. Mm-hmm. And But it was only in, in uh, 1854 that the oh, yeah, dogma yeah. of the Immaculate mm-hmm. Conception that Mary was free of all stain of sin from the very first moment of her conception. Okay. So that was the background. And so people knew, enough people knew what this so the general community were knowing now that this is the, the, the Mary, the mother of God. But Bernadette had to get one of her uh, friends, an older lady, and asked her later on in the day, Hi, what's all this about? What is this? Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. she was delighted to find out. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a big... Now, you ask, what effect did the apparitions have on the parish? Yeah. Now, could I change that again and say, <laughs> what response okay. did the parish have to the Immaculate, to, the, to what was happening. Okay. And the response really, and again it begins with the response of Bernadette herself, uh-huh. prayer, um, treasuring the beauty and the courtesy and the experience of meeting such a nice person. Then the response of curiosity of her two pals, now what was going on? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The curiosity of the ten who went down together. Yeah. And maybe, yes, the mother and the father are a bit frightened by this is larger than us, this is bigger than us. Mm. And then, of course, the police a bit. The civil authorities felt that kind of this, there was two response in the civil authorities a bit. There was a bit of disorder around here. Mm-hmm. And we must keep order. There was a French authorities. Yes. But also there was a sense of this is superstition and this is... Mm. Codology and this is France, this is the 19th century, imagine. We've moved on, we're in the 19th century now. Mm-hmm. And all the superstition is gone, or should be gone. So that was, that was the civil authorities. The church authorities said were calmer about it, and the bishop was very careful, but he, he's taught the civil authorities, but I, I'm open to the intervention by the supernatural, which authorities felt they weren't getting enough backing from the church. Yes, yes, yes. But the, the, again, we come back to the actual people like Bernadette, her friends, the ten, their families, mm-hmm. and the, uh, and then a very curious thing then began to happen. The crowds, of course, were coming fairly quickly and getting bigger for the apparitions. Mm-hmm. But at that time, the Pope had declared 
done that year of faith, but a special year of Jubilee. Okay. And the bishop had asked the dean, the head of a group of parishes, a deanery, and that was included the parish priest of Lourdes, mm-hmm. to get special preachers in for Lent to liven up the people's faith. Mm. But the, the parish priest, uh, this parish, parish priest of Lourdes, was finding difficulty getting, he wanted to get the very best, and he ended up getting no one. He had no one. But, but, he was taken aback by the people were much more fervent at Mass. Mm-hmm. There was crowds coming to confession. They were going down to the grotto and saying the rosary. No. And Lent was happening in a whole new way in the parish. And I find that fascinating again, that this was the response of the parish, was prayer, renewal of faith, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was they were taking the initiative, really. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, for instance, now, one time when the crowds were getting quite big and coming up to, things go up to the 25th of March, the crowds felt something going to big happen today. Mm. And uh, this, the sergeant went down to the grotto the night before, 11 o'clock, and he went down with a lamp and we looked into all the corners. So was there any um, electric light or any special things going on to effects? Yeah. Was it disorganized? You could find nothing. But the crowds were all praying. Yeah. 11 o'clock the night before. Gee, he was confused at this kind of oh. stuff. <clears throat> and uh, and the big thing was, who's organising all this? Who's behind this? Yes, yeah, yes. And it, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but then the people decided that this this was this was uh, they were Our Lady, and they were going in. Oh yes, they built uh, they got a, a bit of an altar and a shrine there, and the statues and everything. And at this stage, the civil authority said, this is an unauthorised place of worship. They got no planning permission. <laughs> yeah. That is very human, the story. Very, very, very. And uh, this is a great story then where the local policeman again was told to remove it. Remove all the world, statues and pictures and everything. But he, he had trouble getting some with a horse and cart to take it away. <laughs> but eventually he found one. Okay. But the poor man who took away the stuff in the horse and car, he was told by the neighbours he'd have no look for it. <laughs> <laughs> Very human. And then eventually they wanted to fence off the whole grotto. But apparently in the beginning, the guys who put it up during the day came back at night and took it down. <laughs> but this goes on all over the place. Yeah, but in one sense, it was the locals, yeah. the lay people, the parishioners yeah. who responded to what was happening. Yeah. And... Uh, then it goes on, uh, it's in the book there about uh, the, the various developments, but I'd like to emphasize how the response started from these young people, yes. and these young people without education, and then it was backed by the rest of the parishioners. Oh, it was very linked with the parish church. Bernadette and her friends, before the apparitions, they'd go to the parish church first and pray, mm. or they'd go to morning mass at half six and they'd go down then. But that link with the local parish is absolutely essential to the, where the Lord started from. And I think one of the things that has happened now with the decline in vocations and clergy and all this, mm-hmm. when I went to Lourdes first, it was very clericalized, but now there's more and more lay people. And in more sense, it's been given back to the parish. Uh, devotions now often begin at the uh, parish church. When Pope Benedict was called to Lourdes, he began his pilgrimage at the baptism font of Bernadette. Mm-hmm. 
Because that's where it started. That's where it started in the first day. And that's where we all, that's where the parishioners get their identity from the baptism front and from the mass and the local community. So I think it, the story of Lourdes fits in beautifully with what God is asking of us today. And God is offering us today. And God bless the response of the people of the parish at the apparitions and afterwards. And God bless our response now. Lovely. What happened to Bernadette after the, after the apparitions? Now, towards the end of the apparitions, the emphasis for the parishioners and the authorities centered on the grotto mm. oh, and, and the spring, the water that uh, that was discovered after Bernadette washed her face with the muddy stuff. Someone came back that afternoon and cleared off the mud and found there was clear water coming. And the second, a day or two after the apparitions, the sergeant has in his notes, Jesus, not no, but people passing up with bottles of water from the... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and people smile today, people bringing home bottles of Lourdes water. Yes. Gee, it's within two days of Bernadette Devaratis. And it hasn't stopped since. And then, now, the cures... Cures began to happen fairly quickly, but Bernadette had no interest in them. And Bernadette herself, and now that's part, we'll come to that part of the story. Mm-hmm. After the apparitions, the, she was still in the hovel in that condition until September. But then, the law, I suppose, in one sense, I kind of like to say that all the papers were coming and television, everything, and the locals were ashamed of the conditions in which Bernadette was in. So they found him another meal. And that's where they began, the family began to settle down again to work with flour. And Bernadette was with them. But then she was becoming an object of curiosity, which she hated. And she wanted to be treated as normal. And eventually she went up to live with the sisters in the convent. And, um, but now she wanted to be a nun, that was clear early on. But where? That was the big kisht. And an awful lot of orders came to her, almost kind of promising her double stamps kind of stuff. But she eventually joined the local sisters, and she was asked, why? Because they never asked me. They left me alone. Uh, they knew they, who they were dealing with. They were not pushing Bernadette around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when she joined the order, she went off up to Nevea to the headquarters and did her novitiate there. Mm. And that has its own story then, how she was treated there. And uh, um, she learned proper French, and I think it's quite funny. She grew up speaking a local language, Bigurda. And but about July of the apparitions year and after that, she felt she just had to explain to these people, I suppose they're thick. I suppose they, they only have French the misfortunes maybe. So she better brush up her French. Yes. And I thought as this uneducated girl who was had to had to open up her her, 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 her language to these misfortunes who were educated like. Yes. But uh, anyway she goes and she just, she lived in the convent then from sixty six to seventy nine. And uh, she worked nearly all the time. She was in Fever nearly all the time as a helper or as a patient herself. And the one thing I would say, the other sisters were fond of her and she was an inspiration and the authorities knew that she was an inspiration to the novices and all that. But very soon the sickness went out of hand and she suffered terribly in the last years of her life. And uh, like, um, but she felt it was part of just prayer almost her suffering. Mm. I mean, my white chapel when she was inside in her bed. And then an image of, if we saw the, the mill and how corn was ground with two big millstones, 
and she from her childhood said, I'm being ground like a grain of corn between two millstones, the pain. And, uh, but, and she, in bed, she was thinking of mass and mass being offered. Every moment does mass being offered around the world. And she wants to offer herself with that, with the, with the Lord. The beautiful faith. Yes, but the pain, the, the Paschal mystery, the mystery of Easter and death and resurrection. And, um, but um, in a strange way, the focus went very quickly onto the grotto and pilgrimages. And uh, they grew very fast. In 1866, the, the train reached, the station reached Lourdes. And of course, it took off from that. At this stage, now, if we might go for that second piece of music and come back for part four. The piece of music we got now. It is right? another gorgeous piece from Faith of Our Fathers. It's a Eucharistic hymn, which is a nice one to go with. This time it's Kate Milafalter wrote. So let's have a listen. Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. Welcome back again to the fourth and final part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley. Continuing our chat here with um, Father Michal. I know we can make three or four or five programs out of this, but unfortunately, Father, we've got about three or four minutes left. Just to wrap up this whole thing about Lewis, two things I want you to do. Number one, maybe your impression and your thoughts on the whole lot. And number two, you might mention about uh, the actual book launch later on, maybe a little bit of the curious. But just, you know, just in three or four minutes, Dave, that's all we got. Your own impression or your own reflection on visiting Lourdes uh, for 50 years and also writing the book. What's your final thought you'd like to pass on to us? I suppose one of the things that constantly amazes me is the where people come to Lourdes mm. and sit there near the grotto and watch the crowds. Uh, 
and the crowds come in the gate up at the beginning of the, the main mm. and okay there is security men watching the scene and all this but there's no x-rays or no anything and all humanity can come there and walk in around the grotto and there's no charge and they're just praying some people sit there and they bring all kinds of I suppose one of the things that amazes me so many people bring so much trouble and pain to Lourdes their own their loved ones and all these thousands and thousands in one sense Lourdes should be full of pain and maybe full of anxiety and anger Mm. but no all the pain is there and people have it in their bodies in their minds and anxiety but it is peaceful and calm and there's friendships being made and support mm, and mm. it's just a beautiful, it's a wonder. That in itself is a great wonder. And I love that. And I feel it is grounded as well from the very beginning between it and Bernadette in gentleness, beauty, prayer, courtesy, and then uh, a sense of God is our saviour, God's grace. So I, I think there is a huge uh, chance of uh, hearing the gospel afresh in Dords. So that's uh, so why I'm so excited about that I was given the privilege of telling the story and I hope that this book, which will be officially launched on, in the city of Limerick on, in Mary Macleod College on Monday, November the 25th, the last Monday of the month, in the forum of Mary Macler, which is on the way into the Lime Tree Theatre, you enter from the, the Ashburn Avenue at the side entrance court, Black Gate, mm-hmm. or as some people know it better, the gate opposite Scots. Mm-hmm. And on Monday week, on November the 25th, November the 25th, at 6.45, we'll begin signing books. And at 7.15, Bishop Brondon Lee, he will officially launch the book and we will have some light refreshments. And uh, welcome for everybody. And as Limerick, the Austin Pilgrimage issue had a bit of a down year because of the floods in Lourdes and the, the, the Pilgrimage was cancelled. We hope this will be a gathering again, a reunion uh, where people can encourage each other. And I hope it will be a great fundraising night for the Limit Lords Invalid Fund because all the proceeds, uh, the book will be on sale for 10 euros and all the proceeds will go to the Limerick Lords Invalid Fund. Father Mihal, thank you very much Dave, for coming today. Um, really, I think, I, I think we'll have to have two or three uh, two or three more programmes on this. It was beautiful to listen to you this morning. I'm sure that people would be so encouraged by what you said in, in the story of Lewis, in how it affected people, whether it be young people, whether it affected ourselves, the way it affected yourself. And please, God, we never know who might be there come next... Uh, is it June when they have the... Uh, the Limerick Priyas and Pilgrimage goes out the 21st of June. 21st of June. And if you maybe, if you're if you not going yourself, maybe, but if you know some person who has their own troubles and you think to be helpful for them if they've got a chance of going to Lourdes, you could, you could inquire about that. Father Michal, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, of course, the book uh, by Father Michal Liston, Come and See, The Story of Lewis. It's in all good bookshops everywhere, isn't that what they say? But the most important thing, it's uh, the signing of Father Michal's book will be in the Mary Immaculate uh, on the 25th, Monday the 25th, that's Monday week, 6, 6.45 signing and 7.15 the launch.
So until next week, where we have um, Father Fancy Cullenhan uh, joining us to reflect on the sacrament of confession. But until then, we'll go with a lovely piece of music again. Again, it's a Marion hymn. It's uh, from Noel Henry from his album, How Can I Keep From Singing? And this one is entitled As a Nail Before You. So until next week, God bless you and thank you very much for joining us. Bye bye. Sacred Space.